0: Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. Have you ever felt like you were just the most rotten sinner ever? Like, there's no way that you're ever going to stop being awful. Um, It's a crummy feeling. I know I've had it plenty of times before. if you're, if you're one of those people who ever got into watching Friends back in the day, or, or maybe you watch reruns now, uh, there's one episode where Monica, she thinks she's really good at giving back rubs and she's bragging that her boyfriend Chandler loves her back rubs. And, um, she goes over to him and she starts to, to give him a shoulder massage and he's quietly just cringing in pain uh, as she digs her hands into his back. And, Not gonna lie, that's sometimes how how I actually feel when my wife tries to help me out and and rub my back, and she's an occupational therapist, and so like she's just really rough sometimes with that, and it hurts. Um, But then, the the show, it gets super funny because Chandler says that she gives the worst back rubs in the world, and expectedly, Monica, she doesn't like hearing that. She's super competitive, uh, doesn't like not being great at anything. And so chandler says no you give the best bad back rubs in the world and her face kind of softens up a bit and she's like so if you're saying if you're going to give an award out for the best bad back rub who would get that and chandler's like you would and you kind of see this little smile creep across her face and and honestly it's actually it's kind of a cute uh scene in the, in the show well sometimes when it comes to sinning I actually feel a little bit like Mana. Like, I feel like I'm the best, worst sinner in all the world. And I try not to sin, but every day I prove that I'm so good at sinning that I can do it without even trying. Uh, I'm, like, I'm like a champion sinner or something. And it, I don't know if anybody else feels like that way sometimes, but I know that that's what it feels like for me. Well, I want to be a champion saint. I want to be a champion at doing things the right way. I want to be a champion at being pure in both heart and and mind and actions but sadly I'm just not always that my hope is that there's a champion who can make me into a champion see I need to be able to ride the coattails of a real champion to become a champion myself I'm not Michael Jordan I am more like uh, Stacy King and a lot of you you don't know who Stacy King is but he, he was a pretty good basketball player back in the 90s using the nba but the only way that he was going to be a champion basketball player was riding the michael jordan's coattails to being a champion i need somebody's coattail to ride i need somebody to make me into what i can't be on my own and now today we're going to look into a story of one of the greatest battles that were ever recorded and the guy who comes out victorious is a champion in ways that far exceed the, the kind of people that we worship today as champions. Champions today, they're never perfect. The Super Bowl is coming in a couple weeks and the only perfect team to ever exist was the 1972 Dolphins team that was perfect. All the other teams, they're, they're not perfect. If the, if the Packers win this year, they were beat once by the Vikings. They're not perfect. But that's what's so great about this champion that we're looking at today. There, there weren't any blemishes on, on his account, on his record. And so as we continue in this series called The Best Good News Ever, we're going to read about one of the most epic battles that was ever written. Now, Jesus had just come off one of the most high points of his life. In Matthew chapter 3, Jesus met John the Baptist at the Jordan River so that he could be baptized. And John was like, yo, Jesus, like, you should baptize me, not the other way around. And Jesus was like, whatever, bro, like, just do it. (laughs) Or whatever, cousin, because they're cousins. So... John the Baptist baptizes Jesus, and as he comes out of the river, a voice speaks up out of heaven. That voice literally says, this is my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. Now tell me that wouldn't be cool to have God say something like that about you from heaven, with everybody listening. But isn't it true that following some of our greatest moments in life, that's when we hit our most trying times. Sometimes I get freaked out when everything's going well because I'm just waiting for the, for the other shoe to drop. And for Jesus, the next 40 days would be maybe the most trying 40 days in his 33 years of life on earth. And here's what happens, Matthew 4, verses one through 11. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter, Satan, came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It's also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I'll give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Now, have you ever felt like God was leading you to something that you weren't too excited about? Can I be honest with you? I hate that feeling. Uh, Just because I'm a pastor, it doesn't make me immune to hating some of the places that God tries to lead me. Case in point, now, this is a long time ago. This is in college, but I remember it vividly. Uh, I had a roommate that did not shower. Uh, No lie, it was about every two weeks, he would go and take a shower. And so it was absolutely awful. Many of you know this about me at this point. I'm a clean freak. Uh, I vacuum just about every day, sometimes multiple times in a day, not gonna lie. Uh, I'm a bit OCD about some things. I think showers are fantastic. Uh, but this kid that I was rooming with, he didn't. And on top of that, he had some real social challenges that made, it just made me not ever wanna be around him. Uh, and I was struggling that semester. I never, I never wanted to be in my room. I, I had to put cologne on my pillow at night just so that I could smell something a little bit better than body odor. But then I was breathing in so much of that cologne throughout the night that it made my throat hurt all semester. I was just in pain. So when my parents came to visit one time, I thought, man, this is gonna be a nice little respite. Uh, They're gonna take me out for dinner, maybe take me and Crystal and her her sister, my future sister-in-law, it'll be nice. Um, But my future sister-in-law, she has way too big of a heart. When she saw my roommate, uh, she got all teary-eyed and she was like, we should bring him to dinner too. Literally, like I hated her in the moment. Like I couldn't believe that she wanted to do the right thing. But yeah, then the Holy Spirit started to confirm in my heart, my roommate should be invited to dinner with us. And can I just say, in my heart, I complained that entire dinner. I was mad that I couldn't get away from this guy. I couldn't get away from this smell. It, I, it was frustrating. And sometimes the Holy Spirit, though, he leads us into situations that we'd rather not be in. And in this passage today, Jesus was led into a pretty difficult situation. This passage is an epic story of Jesus showing himself to be our true champion. And the first thing I think that we can pick out of this passage, uh, and it comes before Satan even levies his first temptation against him, it's this, where we fail in complaining, Jesus wins. Now maybe you need a refresher on on the first verse here. It said, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Remember, Jesus had just had a -a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Uh, After being baptized, God spoke from the heavens, was saying, Hey, I'm proud of you, my son Jesus. But then the Holy Spirit did something that if I was Jesus, man, it would have ticked me off. If I was ticked when the Holy Spirit was leading me to take my stinky roommate to dinner with my family, then I know I would have complained if the Spirit led me out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan after I just had my mountaintop experience. But Jesus didn't complain. Honestly, I don't know what Jesus knew or didn't know about what those next 40 days were gonna look like. You know, there are, there are things that Jesus knows in the Gospels that kinda shows his divinity, But then there's also things that there's many times where it seems like God allows Jesus's knowledge to be blocked. He probably was led out into this wilderness, didn't know exactly what was going to happen in the desert. He probably didn't even know uh, that he was going to be out there for 40 days of struggle. And so what did Jesus do? He submitted to the hardship and the trials that God allowed into his life. It's that simple. Like he submitted without complaining. Now, the next time that your kid complains about you asking him to empty the garbage, just say, boy, God the Spirit led God the Son into the wilderness for 40 days with Satan. And he didn't complain. By comparison, I'm going soft on you right now. (laughs) Now, Jesus didn't even complain when he was hungry. Can you imagine that? Satan waits until the 40 days are done. Jesus has been fasting this whole time. And then Satan tells him to turn stones into bread. And Jesus, knowing that the word of God is the best defense against an attack from the enemy, he quotes scripture and he says, man won't live on bread alone, but on the very word that comes from the mouth of God. So the real question here is, did Jesus really not even experience anger? Like, if you leave me out in the wilderness for 40 days with nothing to eat, man, I'm going to eat your arm if I have to. Did Jesus really calmly just, like, hangers a real thing, right, for you and me? We get hangry. But Jesus calmly remembers scripture and he quotes it back to Satan after 40 days of fasting. How in the world can anyone not give in to a complaining spirit when they haven't eaten for 40 days? My daughters, man, they start to get snippy at people in like 40 minutes after not eating. Jesus had determined to submit himself to whatever God saw fit to allow into his life. Jesus is and was Our champion submitter. Now do I think it was easy for him? No. Do I think that he had to, during those 40 days of fasting, he was praying probably the whole time for something that he probably saw coming, a temptation that he probably saw coming? Yeah, I'm sure he probably did. Instead of feeding on bread, Jesus chose to feed on the words that God spoke. He chose to submit to God's promises rather than complain about his circumstances. Now that is something that that we would all do really well to do. That's the quality of a champion that we find in the life of Jesus. Can you see yourself complaining less if you were feeding on God's word and submitting to his promises more? Now the next temptation that Jesus comes up against, it shows us kind of this second dimension to Jesus as our champion. And the second thing is this, where we fail in demanding, Jesus wins again. Now I don't know about you, but It's easy for me to start demanding my way. I'm tempted to want things so badly that I don't really care what has to go down in order for me to get what I want. It's almost like we want God to go out of of his way to meet our needs, kind of without a care for what it's going to cost. Verses 5-7, through it said, Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it's written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, Satan wanted to get Jesus to act as if God is there to serve the Son, rather than the Son is there to serve his Father. Satan wanted Jesus to demand something of God that, really, that he had no business demanding from God. Uh, Some people think that the place that Satan actually brought Jesus to and encouraged him to jump from was possibly the southeast corner of the temple area and it overlooked the Kidron Valley. And it was high enough that it would have brought certain death on you if you jumped from there or you fell from there without God's intervention. And I can think of plenty of things that I demand from God. I demand a secure job. I demand all the food that I like to eat. Uh, You know, I don't have the stuff that I want for my morning smoothie. Like, I don't like the world very much. I I demand feelings of worth. I demand obedient children. A car that works. Honestly, the list goes on and on, but here's what's fascinating in this temptation that we see coming uh, from Jesus. Jesus humbled himself and accepted that he wouldn't always get his way and he didn't test God by demanding he get his way. And what I find funny about this interaction, it's such a stupid, stupid temptation that Satan's thrown at Jesus. But it was still a temptation. How could throwing yourself off of a high cliff be a temptation? It's stupid, right? But so many of our temptations are just that. They're stupid. The, the, there is such a temptation for us to get whatever we want, Uh, that we buy into some really stupid, selfish ideas of what we think God should get for us. Or what we think that the world should give to us. The wealth that most of us enjoy in 2021 America, it's actually so ridiculous that we think we deserve even more, almost all the time. My kids all have an old iPhone that they can play with, uh, because I've had enough that I've got really old ones I don't need anymore. And they all want a newer one. Um... You know, who in here hasn't fantasized about a better house? A better house than the perfectly fine house that you live in right now. We've all all battled that. If we're not careful, we begin to think that God actually owes us more. But He doesn't. There's nothing that we should demand of God. And we all need to realize this like Jesus, that we are called to deny ourselves. What do we need to deny? I like what Andrew Murray one time said. He said, This is the true self-denial to which our Savior calls us. The acknowledgement that self has nothing, nothing good in it, except as an empty vessel for God to fill. It's really hard to demand anything from God when you realize that you have nothing in your nature that's good, and the only good that you have is what you allow God to put into you. That's a game changer. Knowing this is when demands on God are done away with. And it's when we decrease. You know, when when Jesus increases and I decrease, then I can become okay with the life that's around me. More and more all the time. We're all going to be tempted sometimes to think that we can demand something from God. Remember that anything good that you have, it comes from him. You don't always need to get your own way. Follow in the footsteps of Jesus, who is our humble champion. I love that, that... That idea of a humble champion. It's so cool. Uh, And then we come to the third temptation that Jesus shows as our true champion. Third thing is this. Where we fail in possessing, once again, Jesus wins. Matthew 4 uh, verses 8 through 10 says this. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I'll give you, he said, if you'll bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Satan tempted Jesus to become a political revolutionary, to possess power in an area that he hadn't actually been granted permission to hold power. But also, it was a power that was outside of the mission of Jesus. Have you ever wanted something that was good in and of itself, but it simply was outside your mission? Now, I've always wanted, I've had this kind of secret desire to be a sports commentary talk show host. Uh, I used to love listening to guys talk about sports all day long. Frankly, um, I think I'd be really good at it. I've always talked about sports in my own head. I've got a lot of experience with it. Um, but it's just never been something that's been in God's mission for my life. You might be capable of so many different things in this world. But not all of it is, it, does it fit the scope of God's mission for your life? They aren't necessarily your things to possess in life. And think about Jesus. Don't you think that he would have been the greatest political leader or the greatest king that this world has ever seen? Uh, but then again, had he opted for that political revolutionary lifestyle, maybe he would have been not been great. You know, Jesus had a mission, and anything outside of that mission was meant for somebody else. Jesus didn't see the world as his to possess. When faced with the idea of going for something outside of his mission, he chose to pass. Instead of, instead of going for that mission, he went for this higher mission. You know, Jesus chose to go, let go of possible glory for himself so that he could glorify God. Every day, you and I, we might be asked to give up something that would look good on our resume, in order, and we'd have to give it up in order to fulfill God's mission for our lives. Maybe you're not ever going to be able to climb the ladder of corporate success like you know that you could. And you might want to blame somebody for that. But the mission of raising a healthy family, maybe that's enough to say it's okay that I find success in my family's health more than where I'm working 9 to 5. Jesus is a true champion because his crown was won in an eternal battle and not in a battle that wastes away. Are you winning crowns in places in life that matter eternally? Are you winning battles that no one else is gonna remember 100 years after you're dead? You know, you can gain the whole world right now, but what good is it? In 25 years, no one's gonna remember and talk about how many promotions you earned and you made so much money that your family didn't have to worry about finances ever. They're gonna be talking about the character of your children and that's something that you can have a direct impact on. The question is, what do you wanna possess? Do you wanna possess eternal crowns or crowns that waste away? Now, yeah, we can look to Jesus as our example of how we can live like a champion. Jesus shows us how to, how to go through life and not give in to complaining, uh, but submitting ourselves in the good times and in the bad times to Jesus. He shows us how to humble ourselves and not demand our rights. Jesus shows us how to aim at, for possessing things not in this world, but in, in this eternal aspect of things. Jesus is our example of how to be a champion, but Jesus is more than that. Jesus is our champion for the times where we fail to be a champion. You and I, we mess up all the time. Jesus never did. But he does way better than that for us. He completely makes up for our mess ups. Jesus brings us along for the championship ride. We get to sit on the bench the whole time. We might even get into the game, we miss shots, we throw the ball away, and still, Jesus has found a way to be our champion and let us be part of that championship. Jesus battled Satan. Satan threw every trick at Jesus Jesus that he possibly knew to throw. And it wasn't enough. Jesus didn't give in. He made the right move every time. He did the very thing that we can't do most of the time, and that is he never sinned. And then at the end of the battle, knowing that our sin was going to do us all in for eternity, and there was nothing we could do about it, Jesus died in our place. He died so that he could be our champion and make us champions over sin. Jesus is our champion over sin and he lets us take part in the victory. Even though we, we, we are absolutely incapable of doing anything to help us in creating this victory, the victory that Jesus wins for us is powerful. It doesn't require that we ever get anything right. But while it doesn't require that we get things right, Jesus shows us the way to getting more things right than we could on our own. If you're finding yourself giving into a complaining spirit or a demanding spirit or a possessing spirit, then you're not living in the victory that you have been gifted to live. Jesus didn't become our champion over sin so that we could continue to be defeated by that sin. He wants to give you victory right now today. Where do you need that victory? Do you find yourself complaining all the time? Maybe you haven't fully submitted your heart to the idea that God has your best interest at heart through your struggles, but he does. Today, rest in Jesus as your champion and watch your complaining spirit begin to to feel out of place with what Jesus has given you eternally. Do you find yourself demanding things of people and of God? Maybe you haven't humbled yourself the way that Jesus humbled himself. Today, rest in Jesus as your champion and watch your demands begin to to also feel out of place. Uh, This lack of demand that God has put on you to be perfect. He very well could have demanded that you would be perfect, but he didn't put that demand on us. Why should we demand anything of him? Do you find yourself wanting to possess the temporary things of this life without a real care for the eternal things that should matter most. Maybe you haven't turned your glory over to the one who has given up his glory for you. Today, rest in Jesus as your champion and watch your desire for his world become, for this world, I should say, become less. And watch your appreciation for what you have in Jesus become your deepest desire. He is your only possession that matters. Jesus is our champion. He, he fights battles for us daily. We mess up all the time. We sin, but Jesus won the battle that mattered. And in Jesus, we get to claim victory. Uh, nobody's a loser when they're on the side of Jesus. And that's truly the best good news ever. Uh, trust in Jesus's role as your champion today. And he will begin to give you victories over the areas where you have felt discontent. Why don't you pray with me? Lord, I thank you so much that we have a victory in you. And God, some of us right now, we are battling this feeling of defeat. Uh, We're living with a complaining spirit. We're living with uh, a spirit of demanding our way. We're living with a spirit of wanting to possess all these things in life that aren't necessarily ours to possess. God, I pray that you'd forgive us of the ways where where we're trying to, to bring out some victory on our own and we haven't realized that you've given us the victory that matters. God, I pray that we would rest in you as our champion today. And as we rest in you as our champion, God, I pray that the complaining will decrease. I pray that the demands that we place on you and other people will will decrease. God, that, that we will desire less to possess things in this world, but possess a relationship with you that matters for all eternity. God, we thank you so much for going to the cross for us. We thank you for being our champion. Be my champion today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.